this morning, I uh, uh, want to share with you on a, a subject which I know that when this subject comes up, people are very, very keen on, very interested in hearing what the Bible has to say about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit has been so misidentified in our generation and been misplaced in our generation. And we've demanded things from the Holy Spirit that, that uh, uh, is, a, is a shock that we would demand such things from God with us. Jesus came to earth. He was named Emmanuel, God with us. And now Jesus is where? The right hand of the Father. He is now our high priest. And who do we have? God with us is the Holy Spirit. He is with us. He is in us. He is on us. He leads us. He guides us. He protects us. He sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit is, is what they... Somebody wrote a book called The Shy Person of the Trinity. The Shy Person of the Trinity. And uh, we oftentimes we talk about God the Father. We talk about Jesus and the work that Jesus did. But we also have to be aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So we see that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the third person of the Trinity. Therefore, we recognize the deity of the Holy Spirit. He's here today. The Holy Spirit is in you right now. And the Holy Spirit is here with us right now. The Holy Spirit has a specific, unique ministry that He's ministering right now to you and I and to our hearts. The person of the, of the Holy Spirit is, is as much God as God the Father is God and as God the Son is God. According to scriptures, the Holy Spirit quickens our spirit. Another word for that is, is charge, gives life. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit enlightens us. In other words, there was a time you would read scriptures and it would be like you're reading in the dark. You actually don't know, have no clue as to what God is telling you. But the Holy Spirit in you is the one who flips the light switch and enlightens you. This is exactly what happened to you when you were born again. The reason you believe and repent is because you were enlightened. Now, you wouldn't be able to explain it at the time. But the reason a baby breathes is because they were born. Now, the baby can't explain that to you. But the baby doesn't know that they didn't choose to be born. <laughs> the baby didn't even know, doesn't even really know what happened to them. All they know is they want to breathe and they want milk. And that's exactly what happens to the Christian. The Christian is quickened, is made alive by the Holy Spirit, and suddenly now repents, believes, and cries, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. I've heard so many very interesting stories of people just, it just happened to them where suddenly conviction falls on them. And what they used to love doing now convicts them so much they're so burdened by their life and they know they need to turn. It's a conviction that falls upon them 
brought on by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comforts us. The Holy Spirit draws us to God. The Holy Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is God who dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches you what you hear and understand. You could hear things, mentally ascend to it, and never grasp it with your heart. In other words, there's very little meaning to it. If you ask an unsafe person who's well-trained in Scripture, if you ask that unsafe person who's well-trained in Scripture, they can give you the right answer, but it's not real to them. There are people with the likes of Bart Ehrman and so on who are very educated in Scriptures. Yet, when you listen to them, you go like, this is not alive to this guy. Everything that, I'm, that he knows is death to him. It's just mentally ascending to certain facts. And that's what doctrine can do if a person is not saved. You can make one one degree warmer. If if a person isn't quickened by the Holy Spirit, they can have all the arguments for the doctrines of grace and it not be true for them. If the doctrines of grace doesn't humble you and make you grateful, then it wasn't the work of the Spirit, then it was mentally ascending to something. So the Holy Spirit teaches us. But here's the other thing. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is making you more and more like Christ, less and less like what you used to be. The Holy Spirit makes you fall out of love with the things you used to love and in love with the things you used to think was foolish. The Holy Spirit is the one who causes you to be pulled out of the world out of the darkness, into life, and into light. And this is the will of the Father, that ye be sanctified. If you've ever wondered what the will of God was for your life, is that you be sanctified. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads you. You may go like, wow, that was interesting. What a coincidence. This guy met an evangelist walking through the airport, I'm just thinking about true story, and that was the right moment when this man needed a word from the Lord, needed to hear the gospel. He heard the gospel, and it was like, wow, how did that happen? The Holy Spirit orchestrates. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. We don't know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit is, is who actually regenerates us and gives birth to us and takes you out of the kingdom of the world, puts you into the kingdom of light. And you didn't know that, but that's actually what happened when you got saved. Why is it important to know? Because it humbles you. It makes you go like, wow, He does love me. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to make somebody be emotional about God by running up and down, screaming and shouting and telling sad stories or happy stories. What I'm showing you is how God operates. And when you realize how He operated in your life, you go, wow, He did choose me. Wow, He did draw me. Wow, He did quicken my heart. Wow, He did give me a heart that loves Him. 
did give me a heart that repents and believes and 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 that heart now that cries abba father all that i am paul says is he's doing as a matter of fact the bible says and this is the work of god that ye believe and this is the work of god that ye believe somebody goes believing is not a work evidently it is <laughs> but it's not yours it's god's and this is the work of god that you believe he works in you to will and to do his good pleasure the bible says so when it comes to your salvation the trinity father son and holy spirit is unanimously involved as a matter of fact the bible says that nothing was created if nothing was created that he jesus did not create that's what it says but when you look at the at the at the at the creation we see that god spoke the spirit hovered and jesus created so the whole trinity was involved with creation and in the same way the entire trinity father son and holy spirit are involved with a new creation you see there's a there's a work that the father did in salvation in your salvation and here's what god did in your salvation this is what he orchestrated the bible tells us that the father blessed us with all spiritual blessings in christ he's the one who blessed you with a call with redemption sanctification all of those blessings listed in that portion of scriptures and we actually went through it last week the father chose us in him before the foundation of the world the father predestined us to the adoption as children by jesus christ according to the good pleasure of his own will so we see that it's the father who blessed us with every blessing in christ it's the father who chose us before the foundation of the world it's the father that predestined us unto adoption into his family so what's the son's work in in, in your salvation well the son was made sin for us the ones god chose the ones god blessed the one god predestined jesus came and he was made sin for us he was made a curse for us he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities the bible said he carried your and my sins up upon himself as a sacrifice he became our substitutionary atonement that's the son's part in your salvation so we ask well what is the spirit's part in your salvation well the spirit applies to the church what christ has accomplished for the church you say that again the spirit applies to the church what christ accomplished for the church christ accomplished for the church what god ultimately predestined to be so let's see how did the spirit apply this to you you might say jacques why do i need to know this because this is this ought to work both humility and gratitude in your heart not only humility and gratitude but also security because if you know these things are true for you you know the holy spirit did them you know you don't teach somebody you don't train them in the security of the saints by giving them a feeling <laughs> or by encouraging them just just trust me it's true <laughs> you know what you do is you help them understand how this happened that you are the way you are today how are you you're not happy in your sin are you how are you 
Well, you're desperate to know that you're forgiven by Christ. How are you? Uh, you know, you, you don't love what you used to love, and you now love what you never, never loved. Why do I believe? Why do I repent? Why does my heart cry out a Father? If, you, if that is true for you, let me tell you why that is true, so you don't take any credit for self. <laughs> but here, let's see what the Holy Spirit did for us in salvation. The Spirit applies to the church what Christ has accomplished for the church. So the first thing we see, that the Holy Spirit, His work looks like in your life and my life, is that the Spirit convicts the unbeliever of sin. The Spirit convicts the unbelievers of sin. John, 1, John 16, 8 says, And when He comes, speaking of the Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what I want to tell you is this, that the day you fell under conviction, you suddenly found yourself desperate to be made right before God. Can you, can you think back to that day? Were you like, I got to be right with God. I just got to make right with God. That was the Holy Spirit working in you. That was the Holy Spirit working in you. Let me ask you. Let's go to the mall right now. And if you have an urgency to be right with God, let's go and ask around and say, hey, do you have an urgency, urgency to be right with God? Let's go from person to person in the mall and ask them if they do. And you will find majority of people do not today in the mall, what I'm referring to. They do not have an urgency. They'll respond with, no, I'm good with God. How do you know? How do you know you're right? Why do you think Christians are right? You know, like all the arguments and all that. My point is, why do you have an urgency to be right with God and the guy next to you doesn't? Is it because you're better? Is it because you are what, more wise? You're wiser? Is it because you have more knowledge? Is it just because you're superior in some way or another? You see, now you can't credit yourself for being desperate to be right with God other than crediting the Holy Spirit because it's this work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the problem. When people talk about, when people talk about, well, no, we can do whatever we want. No, you can't. Prove it to you. You can choose to sin more today if you want to, right? Every single one of you can choose to walk out here and go sin more than what, you've, than what you sinned yesterday. You are free to sin more. Let me ask you this question. Let me say it this way. You can choose today to go and sin more for the rest of your life. You can choose to sin more for the rest of your life. Let me ask you this. Can you choose to never sin again for the rest of your life? No, you can't because you're not free. You're not free to not sin ever again. The point I'm trying to make here is that when we say, no, 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 we came to Christ because we chose to. My question is, why did you choose to come to Christ, but the person next to you chose not to? Are you better than them? Folks, no, you can't credit yourself coming to Christ at all. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. So don't take the credit for what the Holy Spirit did in you. That's why that is dangerous. No, the Holy Spirit did that. And when, he, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin. No, it wasn't because the person was more moral. 
No, no, no. He got convicted by the Holy Spirit. It is the work of God. So, the day you fell under conviction, think of that moment. Think of the moments now and recognize that it's the hand of God, the very Holy Spirit at work in you. Number two, the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. The Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. In other words, He points people to Christ all the time. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. John 15, 27 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, when the Helper, the Holy Spirit comes, that comes from the Father, when He comes to you, He will bear witness about me. The day you were convinced that Jesus was your hope, the day you turned from the very sin that was killing you, like in the, like in the desert, Moses told everybody that were bit by snakes, all right, look away from your own wounds and look to the snake that he had put upon a pole. And when they turned to Christ, they were healed, right? Now that turning, when that happened to you, guess who pointed Christ out to you? The Holy Spirit is what it says. He will bear witness about me. It's like when somebody goes to court, and um, I've had to do that. And during COVID, I had to go online, by the way, on a Zoom call, and I had to tell the judge that I saw this dog bite my neighbor, by the way. So... And uh, <clears throat> I was testifying against the dog. And, uh, but I was a witness. I was saying he did it. But in the same way, a witness tells you, hey, by the way, Christ is, he is your only hope. The, the day you realized Christ is my only hope, when you saw that, guess who did it? Guess who made you see that? Guess who opened your eyes to go, oh, Christ is my only hope? The Holy Spirit. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit was the one who regenerated you. He regenerates the believer. In other words, he makes the believer alive. Titus 3 verse 5 says he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness. In other words, he saved you, not based on what you did. You didn't know more. You didn't. You weren't wiser. You weren't, uh, you weren't more moral than the guy next to you. No, no. Not based on what you did or who you were, but in accordance with His mercy, according to Christ, God's mercy, He saved you. How? And here it is. By the washing of regeneration and renewing. How? By the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerates you. In other words, you were dead and now you're alive. And the Holy Spirit did that because God pointed you out. Jesus came and paid for you. And the Holy Spirit said, life be. Just like God breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a living, a living being. So now in the Holy Spirit breathes into you and you become alive in Christ. And then we see here in John 3, 5 and 8, that um, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he's explaining to Nicodemus how this happens. He's explaining to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this is how somebody 
is made alive, regenerated, born again. Look at what he says. Jesus answered in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless somebody is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which was born, or that which has been born of the flesh, is flesh. And that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be regenerated. You must be regenerated in order to enter the kingdom of God. Then he explains how this works. Check it out. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. The wind blows where it wishes. In other words, nobody is welcoming the wind or encouraging the wind or chooses for the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. So is everyone in the same way, just as the wind does whatever it wants, blows here, blows there. So also is everyone who has been born of the Spirit, because it is the Spirit that gives birth to the one who is dead in his sins, the one whom Christ paid for. So it is the Holy Spirit that regenerates you from death to life. I don't know how many of you had a radical born-again experience. Some of you may be too young. Some of you can't necessarily put a specific moment to your born-again experience. But you know that when you came to Christ, when God drew you into Christ, there was something different. Suddenly, you started loving God's people. Suddenly, you had new desires, new appetites, therefore new loves. And as a result of your new loves, you now have new priorities and therefore new commitments. You see, your commitment to the Word is, doesn't save you. It is only proof of the fact that you are. Your commitment to the work of God doesn't save you. It is just the outworking of this brand new heart. And so we know the reason we now have a different new loves, new appetites, therefore a new direction, therefore new priorities and new commitments because of, uh, you know, this is all because the Holy Spirit actually birthed you into a new creature. Number four, we see that the Holy Spirit seals believers' hearts until that great day. So the Holy Spirit comes and seals your heart until that day you stand before God. Ephesians 4.30 said, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed, past tense, for the day of redemption. So in conclusion here, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is in salvation is that the Father chooses His Son's bride. He gives His Son this gift, the Bible says. Jesus then pays the sin debt for those the Father has given Him. And then the Holy Spirit regenerates those the Son has redeemed with His blood. 
We say it this way, salvation is purposed by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Holy Spirit. And our salvation is from God in Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost. We say that again, our salvation is from God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's become real to you and I. So you might say, okay, Jacques, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? How do I know this? Well, we need to ask the question. We need to ask the question, what are the fruits of the Spirit then? Because if we have the Spirit, there, can be, there should be fruits of the Spirit. Of course, those are found in Galatians 5, and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Uh, let me go down the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. You know, um, I remember back in South Africa, I was pastor, assistant pastor in a very large church, and there was this one other assistant pastor who used to pride himself in the fact that he had a short fuse. And um, he, he, was, he was a hot-blooded Italian, by the way. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people can have short fuses, but this guy used to say, well, that's just in my, make, it's in my makeup, you know, my makeup. And I remember I used to have, at the same time, uh, also a short fuse. <laughs> and, uh, and I used to just identify with a pastor. I'm like, hey, I'm like that guy, so I'm okay, you know. And he was a more senior pastor than I was. And then the, the founding senior pastor of the church actually ministered on these scriptures to us ministers. And this pastor had lost his temper multiple times in public and justified himself for doing that simply because he said, I'm Italian, I have a short fuse. Well, that didn't end well because when the pastor, the senior pastor addressed this with this pastor, this Italian pastor with a short fuse, this Italian pastor with a short fuse again blew up. <laughs> and then he, he, got, he got another guy to come with him and he talked to this pastor. He goes like, oh, now you're getting up on me, huh? <laughs> You don't know me, I'm Italian. <laughs> um, anyhow, so then, of course, he called all the pastors together. He addressed this again, and he said, let me just show you again. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we cannot justify ourselves. We cannot self-justify the fact that we treat each other as a norm, and I'm not saying the, the, the exception to the rule, but as a norm. We cannot treat each other outside of these fruits and believe that, yeah, we are filled with all this. That's the one thing that when I was part of the charismatic church, this was the one thing that really is always so surprised at it. Two things. Number one, this issue right here, Galatians 5.22, if, in fact, somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, spirit rah, 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 praying for people, slaying everything, power, power, power. But they don't have the power to have self-control. They don't have the power to be patient. They don't have the power to be gentle. That really always bothered me. 
But then the next thing, on the other side of the same coin, the other thing that bothered me was the issue about holiness. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. And if I am filled with the spirit of holiness, but I cannot have a holy life, then of course, you know, I am not filled with the spirit of holiness. Because in charismatic circles, you are filled with the Holy Spirit if you can repeat the same uh, word that is, that, you know, that is not a word, fast and passionately, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That is not what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means it is evident in the fruits of the Spirit and in the fact that the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Holiness, has had an effect upon your life. So fruits are important because they help us establish two different things. They prove what kind of tree it is. And secondly, they also prove the maturity of that tree. You know a tree is mature if it's bearing great fruits, right? The fruits prove the maturity of the tree that it's hanging from. And then you might ask, well, how do I know the Holy Spirit is present in my life and then I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's this, the admiration of Jesus. And, and really, this is, this is where I want to land on this last point. The person who has the Holy Spirit admires Jesus. The person that's filled with the Holy Spirit admires Him all the more. The degree of your filling is absolutely related to the degree of your admiration of Christ Himself. Like Charles Erdman said this, in my paraphrase, he said this, because he said it too complicated and too high English. So I want to make it simple. He said this, those who are most filled with the Holy Spirit are those who are most preoccupied with Christ himself. Those who are most filled with the Holy Spirit are those who are most preoccupied with Christ himself. Just like the Bible is not about the Bible, so also the Holy Spirit is not about the Holy Spirit. You'll never see the Holy Spirit call attention to Himself. In our modern day revival services, we have Holy Spirit services. Who do we focus on? The Holy Spirit. Who does the Holy Spirit focus on? Not Himself. <laughs> I don't know if you just heard what I said. Like these Holy Spirit's filled services has a goal the Holy Spirit does not have. You will never see the Holy Spirit be all about the Holy Spirit. He always calls attention to Christ. And I want to show that to you in Scripture. That He always calls attention to Jesus, not Himself. Let's go to John 14, 26. It says, But the Helper with the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and what? Remind you of all that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit is here reminding you of what Jesus said. So if you go like, man, I just, those words of Jesus just keeps coming to mind. That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> man, I feel so guilty because I know Jesus said this and I, and, I, and I didn't do it. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you for not doing what Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit's function is to remind you of Christ's words. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's goal, right? First, He regenerates you. In apply, he applies all that Christ purchased for you after God chose you. The Holy Spirit applies all of that to your life. And now he's like, hey, Jesus, 
look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, obey Jesus. He's not saying like, I am here in power with you today. Uh, welcome me. No, he's pointing to Jesus. Every single time you see the work of the Holy Spirit, he's pointing to Christ. And that was John 14, 27, 26. Let's go to John 15, 26. Where the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Holy Spirit, namely the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify about me, Jesus says. He is here pointing you to Christ. He is here testifying of Christ. John 16, 8 and 9. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment regarding sin because they do not believe in me. Why does he convict the world? Because they don't believe in Christ. Again, he's just pointing to Christ. He's saying, look, there's Jesus. Hey, remember his words? And he goes, why don't you believe in him? <laughs> Everything the Holy Spirit does is he points out Christ, glorifies Christ. Look at John 16, 13 and 14. But when he, the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Verse 14. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. For he will take from mine and will disclose it to you. He will glorify me and he will disclose me to you. <laughs> Again, the work of the Holy Spirit points you to Christ, reminds you of what Christ said, glorifies Christ, brings you to Christ, convicts you because you don't believe Christ, takes from Christ and reveals it to you. I'm going somewhere with this. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life results in that person honoring and admiring Jesus Christ. When you find somebody who honors, admires, and submits to Jesus Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of other spirits in a person's life is the honoring of self. <clears throat> it's an amazing thing. I'm privileged to be able to talk doctrine with a lot of ministers, many of them around the world. But the one thing that's always so clear to me is how people are always arguing sovereignty. They're always arguing for their own sovereignty. They're always arguing for their own freedom. I'm free! They're always arguing that they're not completely dead in their sins. They're always arguing, <laughs> basically, for some credit and some value. They're always arguing for humanism at the end of the day. You see, the work of other spirits in a person's life, as opposed to the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit always points to Christ, reminds you of Christ, convicts you because you don't believe Christ, reveals Christ to you and glorifies Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. Opposed to that, the work of other spirits is always the same. Honoring self, crediting self. A sure sign that a church is void of the moving of the Holy Spirit is a sure sign of it is when that church focuses on the goodness of man, the value of man, man's plight, man's needs, man's importance. 
But the proof that it's the Holy Spirit is when it's like, hey guys, just so you know, life's not about you. God didn't put you here for you. God put you here for Him. Period. Life is not about you finding happiness. Life is about you glorifying God. Life is not you about retiring comfortably. Life is about you glorifying God. Life is not about you having your way. Life is about you glorifying God. Life is not about you, everybody agreeing with you and your plight and supporting you. Life is about you glorifying God. That's why when you go through scriptures, you would see Paul would speak to every subculture within the culture of that day. I mean, there were some hard things happening in the day. They were all sitting around the table and he says, if you're a master, be good to your servants. If you're a servant, obey your master. If you're a husband, love your wife. If you're a wife, respect your husband. doesn't matter what your station is. Why do you have to do that? Because that's what glorifies God. It's not about getting men ultimately to be completely wealthy, completely free, completely healthy, and completely happy. That's not what life is about. Life's about God's glory. Wherever a church or a person and whenever a church or person faithfully centers around honoring the person of Christ, teaching the commandments of Christ, celebrating the work of Christ, the glorious doctrines of grace, the works of Christ, that's what that is. When you find a church that centers around that and elevates the work of Christ, Christ, the person of Christ, the deity of Christ, the position of Christ, when we articulate that and we teach that and we, and we hold on to that, and we argue for it. We are actually doing what the Holy Spirit consistently does. Right? Can you see what I'm saying? You find a church that's consistently pointing to Christ. Consistently calling people to Christ. Convicting people who don't believe, believe in Christ and His words. And reminding people of Christ's words and you know, if you find that church that glorifies all that Christ has done, you have found a church that's submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, that's not what the general church today would view as a Spirit-led church. When the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, they became witnesses, not of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus Christ. Think of it for a moment. Acts 1 verse 8. But when you receive power, when, but you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what happens? And you shall be my witnesses. Again, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, that person becomes a witness of Jesus they don't start having Holy Ghost services. They start, they start witnessing of Christ. Throughout scriptures, it's completely uh, in harmony with the rest of all that the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit is most present when and where Jesus is most central. The Holy Spirit is most present when and where Jesus is most central. So people go... Hey, Jacques, now I do this because I do this for my house. I'll do it for your house. But I'll take oil 
and I'll anoint my house, and I'll anoint your house. And uh, I'll just do it because, hey, I'm not going to be religious about it. And I'll say, God, I pray that you bless this house. When Tina and I bought our house, our farmhouse, like, Lord, may this be a ministry house, a house where people will be ministered to, where people with the gravest of sin would come and find forgiveness. Fornicators will come and find peace with God and repentance before Him. Thieves will come and be changed. People who are hurt and broken will come and be healed. That's what the house is. And I'm saying that to say this. People go, hey, pastor, 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 uh, could, you know, uh, could you come and pray for my house? I just want my house to be filled with the presence of God. Filled with the presence of God. Holy Spirit, fill my house. Fill my house. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is most present when and where Jesus is most central. You want your house to be filled with the presence of God. Allow the Holy, Holy Spirit of God to make your home a place where Jesus is most central. So I do not believe that the church needs a new focus on the Holy Spirit in order to be renewed because the Spirit's work is the focus of uh, is the church's focus and attention on Christ. I think we need to become more Christ-centered. We need we need to we need to be more humbled by what Christ did. That's why I teach the doctrines of Christ persistently and consistently because that was Christ's work. And if Christ's work doesn't humble you, it's because you don't understand it yet. If you aren't grateful, if you don't have a grateful heart consistently, now, of course, we have our moments. When I have my moment, I always go, I deserve death. See, when I don't get what I want at the store or whenever, I go, actually, you know what? You deserve death. You deserve hell. That's what I mean, spiritual death. But instead, God was good to me. I have a lot more than what I deserve. And as you know, that is the problem with our culture today. Where they believe they deserve more than what they have. Even though they have more than any generation throughout history of humanity. They already have more, yet they believe more is owed to them. You see, the gospel unravels all of that in people's minds and hearts. No, I deserve none of what I have. If you think about it, I deserve hell. The church needs to study the scriptural Jesus. They need to see the scriptural Jesus. They need to proclaim the scriptural Jesus. They need to hold on to the scriptural Jesus. They need to submit to the scriptural Jesus. That is when... When that happens, it's evidence that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no need for anybody to chase off to the next guy with a tent in Florida somewhere. Because the Holy Spirit's working in you to cause you to become more preoccupied with Christ where you are at. The Holy Spirit is working in you 
causing you to become more preoccupied with Jesus and the work of Christ, how he saved you by God's grace, the doctrines of grace. He is, we have to become more preoccupied with that here where we are instead of going to the next college that has worship services 24-7 and thinking that that's where we're going to catch the Spirit. That's not how it works. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, pointing to Jesus. In John 14, and I'm closing with this, verse 15 and 17, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's not a threat. That's a distinction made. He's making, it's a statement of fact. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The question is, who is it that loves him? That's the question. I love him and my neighbor doesn't. Why do you love him and your neighbor does, and, and my neighbor doesn't? Because I'm better than my neighbor? They <laughs> can't get, take any credit for it, see? No, I love him because his Holy Spirit gave me a heart that loves. If you love me, Jesus said, statement of fact, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Let's pray. Father, today, I know that anything I say means nothing unless you illuminate it to a person by your Holy Spirit. If any heart has been encouraged towards turning to Christ today, it is because Holy Spirit, you are touching that heart. May we become more and more preoccupied with Christ. May we admire Jesus more and more. May we be more and more humbled by the doctrines of grace. May we be more and more grateful on a daily basis because of what you did for us. Lord, we are thankful. We know we deserve nothing. We don't deserve your mercy. Mercy cannot be deserved. Therefore, we cannot demand it. We don't deserve your grace. Grace cannot be deserved. Only justice is deserved. But instead, you gave us mercy and grace, and we are forever, th forever thankful in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.